once you get to the retainer model where it's there's no hours it is a full retainer you get access to the team we plan it out together you become a partner and not just a vendor Hey guys, welcome back to the Business of Freelancing podcast, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live a happier and a healthier life freelancing. I'm your host, Brennan Dunn, and I am back after, God, what, about a month. So what ended up happening was, in early December, got hit with the flu, which, you know, it's that time of the year, so it's kind of expected, I guess. And I was out of commission for about two weeks, so I was in bed, couldn't really function, Emails piled up, work piled up, you know, all that kind of typical end of the year stuff. And then I got better and I lost my voice through basically about New Year's. So I didn't have a voice. Oh, I mean, I could talk, but it there would be a noticeable difference between the introduction you're listening to now and the recording, since a lot of these interviews are recorded, um, you know, in advance, usually a month or two before they're published. I didn't want to have that kind of discrepancy. So... I held off on obviously recording anything, so we kind of had a little holiday break for the podcast. So if you've uh, if you had long road trips to go see family or something like that, and didn't get your uh, weekly dose of the business of freelancing podcast, I apologize for that. But in uh, as a way of making it up to you, I'm gonna push out a lot of episodes. Uh, I'm gonna try to do twice a week to catch back up for a bit. The interview today is with Bart Mraz. Bart is an old... God, we've been... I've known Bart probably since uh, I think he originally took my consultancy masterclass. And before that, he bought Double Your Freelancing Rate back when it was version one. So probably a few years now, at least three years. And what's been incredible and what I, why I wanted to bring him on is... He's done a really amazing job at applying everything that we've covered, both um, you know on my site and Double Your Freelancing Rate and in the masterclass. And um, he's grown his agency from two people to 20 people. He's done a lot of experimentation along the way in terms of hourly versus daily versus weekly billing, retainer billing. He's only doing retainer-based billing, and he has a really good reason for why he's doing that. But um, yeah, we just wanted to have a conversation about things he's learned. And uh, so he could share a lot of kind of the takeaways from his own trial and error. And uh, hopefully it will help you make better decisions about what you plan on doing in 2016 with your own business. So uh, here's Bart. Hey, guys, I want to introduce you to my friend Bart Mraz. Bart and I, I don't know when we met, but it was probably, what, two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you were, I think you took one of the very first consultancy masterclasses. First one. Was it the first? Okay. First, so you were yeah. there back when it was the kind of the webinar model where I was droning into the mic for 10 hours straight, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be. It's been awesome just seeing, just kind of, kind of from a distance, seeing your business grow. You went from what, two people to 20 now? I think. Uh, we're actually 22 as of last week, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you've definitely, like, in terms of uh, success stories, you're definitely a living, breathing one. A little good one. Uh, we actually hit 
one of humongous milestones on Friday. So what was that? Uh, uh, revenue wise, it's uh, it's been interesting. So we finally hit it after a few years of of pushing through. So nice, a new zero at the end, or a new zero at the end. Sweet, congrats! <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good milestone to hit. Um, but yeah, why why I wanted to talk was just, I mean, I, I really want to just get well two things from your perspective first is growth um both of us i mean you actually grew your agency larger than i ever did but just kind of your thoughts about going from kind of a small shop to a bigger team um i know most of the people listening are still at the point where they're they would self-identify as a smaller company but some of them have growth ambitions so you know any any perspectives you want to share about that but also the the kind of the bigger thing that I wanted to talk about was you've experimented with a lot, a lot of different billing models, whether it be hourly, daily, weekly, retainer. And it seems like now you only do retainer-based billing, which I love just because it's kind of, you know, you've got a lot of overhead now, especially. So it's nice kind of knowing that you're going to be making, you know, a certain amount each month. So we'll talk about that too. But let's just talk quickly about your kind of your story in a nutshell. So... When you and I first met, were, was it just you or was did you have another teammate? Uh, I assume, yeah, no, there's two partners in the company. Okay, um, so it's you and your partner. We start, yeah, I have another partner. Um, he's sort of the, I mean, I kind of have a technical background, but he's definitely the technical e-commerce background more than I do. And we just kind of fell, fell in love with each other at some point. So uh, it works for us really, really well. But we started in 2010, um, so we're a little over five and a half years old. And started out of, you know, just remotely working together. Um, he had a job. I was looking for my next thing because this is company number six. Most of them failed. This one is doing what it should be doing. So, you know, we met through a mutual friend, started working on a project, loved working together, uh, started a company four months later. And uh, four months after that, we actually lived together. Uh, we actually moved in together, had an apartment. Uh, there's actually a picture of, of our sort of, extra bedroom or extra sort of space that we worked out of on Inc.com, posted out there, uh, and then just went from there. So that's sort of the beginnings of the company. So what happened? Like, what was the inflection point? What what changed? Uh, so it, it started there. We started working. I mean, our first year, we almost we failed miserably. We had about 15 people working with us, all, mostly all contractors. And we basically had about $100 in the bank and payroll to do two days before Christmas. So that was fun. Uh, so that sort of takes us into that, you know, sort of what's next and how are we going to save it. And we almost went broke completely. Um, we had some good contractors with us. They're like, all right, we can, we can weather the storm. And we did sort of not proudly say, but, you know, I missed payroll twice after that um, in that first year. And then we're like, no, you know, we need to change something. And we did. Um, we went down to about five people change how we work and we kind of experiment how we went along and needed to fit, you know, fix those things. Okay. So you basically, you, would you say you grew too quickly? Uh, not you too grew quickly. Prematurely? Uh, yes. And no prematurely because we, we, we find, we actually found a, a good iteration and we actually found the work. It was just more of, we had the wrong way of approaching the work. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we kind of, it's the typical, hey, you know, we can just jump into it, you know, be very nice about it. We can work without, you know, getting stuff up front and making sure, you know, it's not 90 days till we get paid and, and not, you know, having solid contracts, having solid sort of 
foundation for what you should be doing, um, just basics. So it failed all, all kinds of fronts on that one, which is, as you know, you had, you had one too. It just, we failed completely on those fronts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to talk, I mean, I really want to center our discussion because I, I love just the experience you have with the billing models. I think that's huge because not a lot of people have done as many different, have experienced really as much as you have. But yeah. <laughs> just before we get there, so I guess, did you just systematically start attacking all of these, like the lack of an airtight contract or the lack of whatever, and just start tackling these from one to the other? Like, is that like, would you say your growth has been like a linear kind of a progression or did you just change one thing? Like, I, I know we all want like that one, like, what's that one thing you can do that'll make your business not suck? Yeah. Um, well, we didn't want to suck. We basically together said we don't want to fail. You uh-huh. know, we obviously had bills. I mean, we are both in debt. We both tried to figure out how to get this done. And we're like, you know, you're typical. We started with billing, you know, $70, $80 an hour, which made no sense whatsoever at that point. We thought it did. And we're like, well, let's, let's kind of figure these things out and look at how do we work with a client. And I think it was more of how we work with a client than anything else that that kind of pushed us to the edge. Obviously, starts researching, like reading online who, what, how, you know, who is doing what, and getting away from the typical freelance world of I build this much per hour and this is what I provide. Where obviously, like you always preach, it's kind of the value of what we're providing. So one at a time, we just kind of went, all right, let's look at this. Obviously, contracts has to change. We have to kind of go let, and then and the contract actually changed after we figure out, hey, we need to bill more or hourly. Or then we started going, what does a day rate would look like if we did it that way? Um, what does a week rate looks like? And then like I stumbled on some of what um, Alan Branch from uh, Less Accounting was doing with some of the stuff they did before. It was like, well, what if we bill ahead two weeks? And that's how it all started. Kind of, And then we started changing our contracts of, Hey guys, we're going to build two weeks ahead and then we're going to, you know, and every two weeks this is what we're delivering when we start a project with you. And then we just keep on building every two weeks. What's fun about that is that eventually after about three or four months, clients go, all right, I hate getting these bills every single month, uh, every single every other two week. weeks. Yeah. Every two weeks. Right. And I got to pay this and I got to rush it. And you got you send us all these email stuff. How about we just do this monthly? And that became a monthly thing. We're like, Hey, on the first we bill monthly and it's just that that's kind of how it all and that's for the upcoming month, right? That's so upcoming not, month. Right. Okay, so you're not paid. retro, you're not looking backwards and saying, we just did a month of work. Here's, here's one invoice instead of two. Exactly. So and that's we, actually, well, let me just mention one thing. That's actually something that, you know, I, well, you've heard this, this whole, that whole thought on like, you know, pricing versus billing, right? Where, you know, billing is looking backwards, pricing is looking forward. It's funny how, you know how true that is. Like if you make it really annoying, like I, I, I used to do weekly invoicing upfront and same thing happened. Like, I mean, people, when they're, when they're getting the work up front, they're not as likely to want to simplify things for, for whatever reason. Right. But right, when, right, right, when right. it's the opposite, when it's more like, Hey, we're not, we're not going to do it. We'll sit on the bench instead of doing work for you. If you don't pay on time. <laughs> then they start right. looking at ways of like, okay, how can I, how can I get this guy off my back? So. Right. And then, you know, everybody asks us like, well, how'd you sell that? Well, I mean, another day we sold like this, you're only out two weeks. You're not out 50% of the project. You're not out, 
you know, 30% of a project, and then we have to wait and deliver it, and then we can stuff like that. If there's changes, we can adjust as we go along, and, and then you're only out two weeks. You know what I mean? If, if in two weeks you go, well, I don't want to work with you, we call it dating period, or in a month you don't want to work with us, you're only paid this much. You're not paying the 50. Then we got to go back and what we actually did and all that kind of stuff. It's all that also kind of tied into, you know, sort of agile sort of development work where we're like, you know, in e-commerce is a little different for us, and you know, we're not building new new sort of systems or, or you know new startups. We're actually building the e-commerce world. It, it's a little different where we kind of know what has to happen as we go along. But also when we do maintenance or we do work uh, with the clients forever, it's kind of like this is what the, the this is the cadence of it, right? Every week we meet with a client, and go, hey, this is the next week how it looks like and stuff like that. So it made more sense weekly type of things. But we we're only in the beginning we were giving them. You only get 40 hours for this price for the whole month or you get – or for the week or you get 20 hours for a week or two weeks, whatever that was. And eventually that just became very, very strenuous because it, it limited what we can do with a client or what has to happen, right? So eventually in one week we spent 20 hours and all of a sudden we're like, well, after the, after the, the 20 hours, you're going to have to pay more. So then we used to bill like two weeks and then if the two weeks were wasted – we added more two weeks to that. It's just, it became really, really hectic at some point. So we adjusted. We had actually adjusted into a full retainer. I still don't like the retainer word because it's just retained services, but actually that's how it works out to be. It's a sort of a retainer subscription model type of thing too, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's subscription. I think subscription is a little better, although subscription is usually, I think one of the issues I have with the word itself is it seems kind of permanent, right? Um, which isn't a bad thing for us, and but uh, you know, I know because in you know subscription is subscription, right? You, you subscribe to the service, yeah. But a retainer model, if you look at from a perspective of what law firms, you retain the services, right? Exactly. And you're there on the bench, and no matter what comes up, work or not, you do it, right? So retainer actually makes more sense in 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 this world, really. Well, and I would also say that retainer, like you like you just mentioned. Uh, whether you work or not, it, you're basically paying for access. You're not paying for results necessarily, I guess. You're paying for your lawyer basically being on call if you run into an issue. But um, I, I'd imagine the the work you're doing is more results-oriented, right? Where you're actually doing work each month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's sort of everyday work for us. So we adjusted that. I mean, it adjusted. It went from you know very low hourly. All of a sudden, we're like, would this retainer model make sense? And we just kind of went up in value and just like, this is what we do and this is how it is. And right now it's based on basically you get access to the whole team and it's not a full, it's not a all you can eat full access. That's what you get because then I would be charging you full rates for everybody. Uh, but it's a, it's a nice mixed sort of things where we plan with clients every week. You know, there's a monthly thing or, or bi-monthly thing where it's a bigger, bigger planning. And we have clients for the past four or five years that have been with us. Um, and new clients kind of come on in that. Um, it's a hard sell. Uh, it's a very hard sell when people are so used to typical creative agencies, services agencies being hourly or project-based. Um, so that's, that's always the interesting part of that. Do you go from hourly to daily to weekly to monthly or was it? Because you mentioned in the pre-interview, you mentioned that you've done all of those. Like what, um, did you just start kind of like just, I guess, pushing the limits in, in terms of each yeah, one? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you went, we went, all right. So, uh, you know, every, every few months we're like, 
all right, this makes sense. And the client, you know, from hourly, obviously, to weekly, to biweekly, right? And then from biweekly to monthly, it was a client request because it was like, all right, enough of these, you know, every two weeks things, and then you're bugging us about it. They're like, okay, well, here's the new contract. Here's how it looks like. And then it went from, all right, for this month, you get 100 hours, and that's it. And then we're like, well, this makes no sense. Let's be on the same level, right? Because I want client skin in the game, and we need to have some skin in the game. And it has to be adjusted. It has to be a partnership. Once you get to the retainer model, where it's, there's no hours. It is a full retainer. You get access to the team. We plan it out together. You become a partner and not just a vendor. So that's kind of, we went from that iteration in the past few years. And yeah, we started with, you know, I think we were charging like 60 bucks an hour, which was kind of ridiculous, by the way, um, five years ago to what we do now. Okay, so I want to I want to jump into one thing that it, it sounds like you have a really a lot of good insight into. So the biggest the biggest pushback I hear from people who are mo- moving to retainer based or moving to hell just getting paid up front is the um, is the fact that a lot of the pushback is from clients who have done this before and they're like, hey, everyone else bills hourly and they bill me like after whatever with net thirty blah blah blah. A lot of people are just they don't want to rock the boat too much, so they kind of don't. They don't do it right. Like they don't want to. They don't want to make their client too uncomfortable, especially if this isn't their first rodeo. If this, if they hired people like us before, what advice would you have for people who want to, let's just say, get you know get paid up front? They want to price up front, and they're getting pushback. Like what kind of? I mean, you already mentioned. Um, I think I think the one thing which is well, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna do work if we don't get paid. So kind of incentivizes them to pay on time versus if they've already gotten the product and now they need to pay, they don't really have that much of an impetus usually to pay you, sure. um, which is where a lot of like cash flow issues stem from. Correct. But, but what, what advice do you have around just kind of broaching the subject with a potential client? Um, so a little bit of a roundabout way of saying this is that um, we do a lot of rescue work. So taking on projects that are just, you know, bad implementations, bad sort of workflow and stuff like that. A lot of our clients are, we're like the fifth or sixth developer in, which is always fun, right? So that, oddly enough, that actually is a good thing for us because we're like, hey, we walk in a different way, right? We're like, hey, this is what we do. Here's a discovery and strategy, which we sell. That's literally the only thing we really sell is our discovery and strategy um, because, that's your first. That's your first in. That's yep. dating, right? Okay. So before you sell them on the subscription, you're getting them. I was going to ask you that. So you do have like a road mapping, uh, yeah. early product. Cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, because we got. I mean, we use you know Magento is pretty much ninety percent of what we do. It's an e-commerce platform. Um, we walk in and actually break down the code, figure out what's wrong. But the beauty of us when we walk in, we don't. We get hired for technical side. But we walk in and go, all right, forget the technical. Let's look at your business. Let's look at that. So all of a sudden, we become that like value of, oh, my God, these guys want to talk about the business side and not really talk about tech because we'll figure that out. Um, so it's approaching it from multiple levels. You can't just go, in my opinion, and I've seen this happen, where I, I, just, I can't just walk up and it's like, hey, retainer is $25,000 a month, and that's what it is, and you have to pay us up front. Yeah. Well, what do you get? And they never worked from you. They never paid you a dime. Right. Anything. Right. Yeah. What, yeah. What you and that's that? that's a mistake. I mean, even if you're not doing a retainer, just if you're if you're doing anything, anything I think it's it's right. usually it's a really hard sell. 
Right. So especially with code reviews and stuff like that, we actually take a peek at most client stuff before we even do our big ginomous discovery and strategy type of engagement. Um, and a peek is on us and usually takes us no more than an hour or two, depends on the site. And we can tell you really quickly what's up. Um, and we know kind of just because we've done it so many times, it's kind of like we know where we need to kind of hit the hit those things. Um, but even with a new site, we can look at it from perspective. Do you have a designer? Don't you have a designer? Are we designing this? Is another firm that we don't know is designing is our form design. So approaching that subject is always tricky, but you can't just go, hey, I'm selling you a cup. Here's how much of it. Like it just it has to be a value type of thing and you have to be that sort of business consulting so side of it and strategy of it, not not just like you're paying me because then you become an order taker and that, that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, the best way you've seen to mitigate the fact of, hey, we don't trust you. We're not going to pay you up front is to sell them on a earlier product and to kind of establish that trust. Correct. So we like the discovery. We always do a discovery strategy, no matter what the project is. So it's a requirement. What, yeah, it's, it's a requirement yeah. from us. And the reason for that is some of are shorter, some are longer. The reason actually for that is our own protection. It's not, it's a client thing, but for us, it's my own protection because we fire clients for just not working together well, right? That happens. We're just human. This is the personality thing. They just didn't work out. Great project, personality didn't work out. And then the other side of it is just, it's a dating for us. It's a dating period. You know, hey, can we actually do our projects together? That works. And then it puts a trust in the client when we walk in, we're like, hey, here's all your stuff. And, you know, we write up a lot of stuff in that discovery. It's like pages and pages of, hey, this is what's going on. This is what you should be doing. Hey, let's plan this out. Here's a roadmap for six months. You can have this or you can hire us to implement this, right? So it, it makes him a value type of thing at all times and not just a order taker type of side. Right, right. So do you also, for that upfront thing, is that a set price? It's usually in the same level as a as a uh, typical retainer, okay. uh, but it really depends on uh, what we think. It's it's a judgmental thing. So, but it still takes time, and it still takes you know um, senior management time. You know, our strategy guys or my partner or me, like it takes time to do it. Um, but we usually try to kind of be in that close range of where a retainer looks like. Right. Yeah. Actually, for one of the contracts I'm on now, it, what I so what I've historically always done has been. A, a very small uh, road mapping session, which is a, a fraction of kind of the overall, either the um, the expected value of the project, let's say, the expected lifetime value of the project, whether it be uh, subscription retainer based or just a, a kind of like a, you know, this many months and it'll cost this much. Um, but what we've been doing with this new thing was we um, were charging 15,000 a month, but the first month, was basically the um, the discovery phase, right? The the road mapping right. phase. Yeah, and it's the same thing. It's basically you're paying 15k month one, and here's what you're getting, and then you're going to be charged 15k each month after that on you know on retainer, basically. Yep. So yep, yeah. it's pretty much pretty much what we do. Um, it's close. We actually are experimenting with something different a little bit, where um, this is the next experiment. Basically, is that. Uh, Asking clients to go, listen, uh, I understand that 15 or 25 or whatever that is, right? That number might be high for a discovery phase. So here's the deal. You can pay us either at the end of discovery or spread it out over the next two months or three, whatever that is, for if you sign a retainer. 
it gives them a little bit more security that way. But they're going to be on the hook for 25 each month, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, no, what, um, what I mean is they're going to say it's, it's 15, right? Yeah. Every month. Uh-huh. And your discovery is 15, but they can spread the the first month over the next two months plus the 15 for each. So month. would your would your month one really be 30? Uh, it would be it? less if you. Yeah, it'd be 30 or. or no, what I mean month. is month. So month one is going to include that first month's retainer Correct. plus the 15. Yep. Okay, yep. so you're you're allowing them to basically have an installment plan for that initial. For the first. Right, okay. so that it's like it's you still get paid for it, you still do it. It's just more of hey, gotcha. maybe we can spread that a little bit. And if you don't want to, you don't want to work with us. That's you know, here's the cost. I love that you experiment so much with this stuff because the the one I'm doing now is basically month one isn't par- isn't part of our monthly retainer, but it's the same budget as our monthly retainer. That's been that's been our pretty much past nine to ten months. Okay, that's how. It's so like. that would mean for from. Uh, practical perspectives for month one for you would be you're going to be doing additional kind of discovery research stuff on top of the usual monthly services you perform. Uh, no. So, so the way I want to do it is, is that your first month, the discovery and strategy, right? You do that, but you can defer the payment to end of the, that month. If they go with us, you know, you spread that payments over the next two months and then add the actual retainer. Okay. If they don't go with us, they just pay at the end of the month. Got it. Okay. But I mean, in terms of deliverables, though, you're still month one, they're going to be getting a lot more than they'll be getting months two and, and on. Correct. Because there's, okay, got it. Because what I see a lot of people wanting to do, which I'm not a fan of at all, is, you know, if they, a lot of people, I think, when they're kind of reluctant to have something like a road mapping um, up front, their, their objection killer will be something like, you know, say it's a $5,000 road mapping. Uh, workshop, they're going to say something like, well, it's $5,000, but um, you can use that as credit toward your engagement with us or something. Like, so yeah. it's kind of like, it's a way to, that they can say, oh, it's basically free, but if you hire us and it's kind of like a cost of doing business, but I'm, I don't like that at all because it basically devalues your time like in a huge way. And they're still getting something of value. Like why, why should they get something of value for free or something of so specific you know, one-off value for free. Yeah, this is always, and you've heard me say this before, is like when we got into doing the retainer stuff all all through the years, you know, my thing, and I come from a restaurant where, right, I can't walk in a restaurant. And this is what bugs me about like 30, net 30s and net 60s and 90s, especially 90, forget that, especially for a freelancer. That's just ridiculous. I can't walk to a bar and tell the bartender, hey, I'm going to pay you in three months. Like, that's just, I'm going to have a beer now, I'm going to drink it, and then I'll pay you in three months for that beer. Well, I think that's why it's important to think of yourself as pricing, right? Because when you price, you don't go to, like you just said, you don't, I mean, you don't go to a a store and um, have like an IOU when you go buy your groceries. (laughs) Right. Um, But I think the problem is when we think of ourselves as, because employees don't get paid up front, right? If you're an employee, you get paid later for the time you know if i if i get a new job and i'm working 40 hours this week i'm not going to get paid for probably a few weeks you know for that time so i think that that mentality carries over into consulting and i get it for kind of the bigger more um you know when you when you talk about like governments and government contracting and all that kind of stuff where you have like six month payment terms sometimes but the funny thing that i think a lot of people don't get is the big companies like the booze allens or um any of these big, maybe not the bigger ones as much because they have a lot of cash, but the, maybe the smaller ones, what they always do is they factor those invoices 
So they go and they get paid immediately. They just get a discount, but it doesn't matter because government pays them their ridiculous rates anyway. Correct. So they don't care and if they, they get and it. And they use, they'll use factoring or they'll use the third-party stuff and that's get. Or you that just walk gets, to a bank and say, hey, the, the federal government just gave me a one-year contract. I want the money for it now. Here's the contract. And they get the money for it. Right. They get fine. I mean, they finance it, right? So even at 10% at a huge contract, who cares? Yeah. Right? You can I mean, if you're, just, right. if you're charging the, the 50 bucks for a screw, I mean, who you, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, right. so that, that, that's understanding those kind of things. And then like, I think, you know, when you're a, a single person freelancer or just a small company, this is what we fell into in the beginning is that, you know, big, you, you, you get it, you know, you're good and you get a contract from a bigger company. And all of a sudden these guys are like, well, our terms are 90 days and procurement goes, we're not going to pay you. And you're like, but I want that contract. And you're like, well, that doesn't work. Right. I don't care what the company is. What the portfolio is, you still got to pay your rent. You still got to do work. You still got to do all those things, right? Absolutely. And it doesn't work that way. So, and small co- and small freelancers can't really factor because you're going to get, you know, you got to just get bent over. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there are some outlets for doing that as freelancers, but they're basically payday loans where yep. their rates are like, when you actually look at like, what is the APR? It's like in the Ugh. thousands of percentage. It's insane. Right. I'd rather not take the contract from a big company that I know I'm not going to get paid for 90 days than do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, we actually just recently did that. We have a contract with a humongous company um, and procurement was like, no, it's 60. I'm like, well, it's 30. <laughs> actually, I say, <laughs> I say 15. It's yeah. kind of fun that way. They're like, well, we can do that. I'm like, all right, well, it's 30 and I'm going to bill you twice this month because it's going to be 30 now. Um, you're going to pay me now because it's a, it's a prepayment. Um, and that was kind of on purpose. And then it's going to be an invoice for next month and it's due on the first. Yep. So we actually, our rules are we bill on the 15th, the month before mm-hmm. it's due on the first. If it's not here by the fifth, we stop work. Got That's it. our contract. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're right that a lot of these procurement or accounts receivable departments or whatever else they have these. What what the common pushback is, is the client, you know, the person who's your client is not actually the one cutting the checks. So they walk over to their, uh, you know, the, the, the department in the company that actually pays bills. And they're like, oh, no, we have, uh, you know, we have our ways of dealing with vendors, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, a lot a lot of times, especially I think a lot of freelancers, they're just like, whatever you say, like whatever, whatever billing model is fine. I mean, especially considering that. These tend to be bigger projects and bigger dollar signs and everything. But the fact remains, you're not going to be able to go to your mortgage person, your mortgage company and say, yeah, well, that's coming net net 90, that payment I need for um, for to pay my bills. Can we hold off 90 days? Yeah, good right. luck with well, that, that, right? This is, this is also why you want to sell value. You don't want to be a pricing person, right? Because think about this. We're in a, we work with e-commerce companies, so it's a little easier for us to do this. It's like, I just charge you $25,000, but I need you 100000 so why am I waiting two months for my payment? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like that's how you got to look at it. It's it's not the pricing is the pricing is Yeah, uh, vendors are dealt with that. You can't be a vendor. That's you just cannot be a vendor in this industry. Right. Right. Exactly. I didn't know we talked about procurement, but I love I love talking about procurement because it's one of those things that they don't, there's not like a lot of educational stuff out there about like dealing with procurement and AR departments and all this kind of stuff, right? It's kind <laughs> right. of one of those things that you either learn because you've worked at a massive company that deals with it, or you've uh, somehow stumbled your way into winning an RFP 
and you are now at the point where you're trying to do your usual thing and they're like, no, you need to use our, we have an in-house lawyer and blah, blah, blah. And it just starts to be, feel very differently than the kind of clients you might've worked with in the past. And you need to, you know, they send you their contract and you're like, uh-uh, not happening. You know, yep. they want to change every single term on your contract. You're like, <laughs> I'm not doing this. <laughs> easy, uh, easy fix for that, actually, because if they're going to use your contract, their contract, you're going to need to involve your lawyer who's probably charges more than you. What, what I, what I like um, is, and we've done this a few times, is, you have a, this is the price with our contract. This is the price with your contract. I've seen that happen. And actually, that's a cool, cool yeah. way of doing it. Yeah. So our contract is very, very, very. Uh, so this is actually one of those fun tips is that our contract is very, very R-sided on purpose. And the reason for that actually is if a client looks at it and signs it, I, that's a red flag for me. If they don't have any questions. It's a crazy way of looking at it, but if a client doesn't come back at me and goes, hey, here's a question for this, here's a question for this, here's a question for this, I'm scared because that makes it not them paying attention to stuff. Um, I don't mind changing terms, you know, certain terms in our contract, and we've done it all, we do it all the time, but it's more of, I hate when clients come back to me and go, they have no questions to just sign it. It's really weird. Yeah, I mean, well, you see that more, I think, with the small, like, bigger companies just by principle will never be like that. But I think a lot no. of... No, absolutely not. <laughs> I think a lot of um, a lot of smaller companies, yeah, they, I mean, well, let, let's face it. I mean, I know a lot of freelancers who don't even have contracts. Uh, and they're like, why don't people ever pay me? <laughs> and it's like, well, maybe treat yourself like a business and you'll get a little more respect and maybe get paid. Well, the other one is like, they never send an invoice. I didn't get paid. <laughs> Did you send an invoice? You know, and I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just saying that, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that I think, I mean, hence the name of this podcast, The Business of Freelancing. It's a business, you know, you're not, this isn't, you're not an employee, you're a business owner and businesses have ways of doing things and they have ways of getting paid, most importantly. Do you have any other, like what other fun experiences do you have when it comes to dealing with either uh, procurement departments or... I imagine if you're t if you're dealing with a procurement department, I imagine you went through an RFP to get that contract. No, oh, really? Okay. Nope. Good for you. Uh, we have in the past five and a half years, we responded to one. So um, <laughs> okay, that's another. That's a, right. That's so they sought you, they sought you out, but I, I assume though that the typical way of their business operating would be going through. Correct. I mean, procurement so, is usually not for getting paid; it's for winning the project. You know, they're the ones yeah. who manage that. Right. I mean, some of the clients, we they have a full procurement uh, department, which is they, they kind of send that out. People need to know about those guys because it's it's they deal with a lot of, you know, accounts payable and stuff like that that has to go through a contract. A lot of them will go back and forth. So you have to watch those things. RFPs are interesting. Uh, we we are get a little more lucky just because we do a lot of rescue jobs. So we come in as to fix one thing and we stay there. So um, we have client like a pretty big, humongous client that you know they got us for a month, and they're like, you know, two weeks in, they're like, can you stay here for another month? We're like, we stay here as long as you want. Yeah. And like two months later, they're like six months. I'm like, we're month to month. So if you get us better. <laughs> what? That's right. the, uh, that's the fun one I always forget is we're uh, our retainers are not they're month to month retainers. Our master service agreement is for a year um, because we don't we don't need to review that every single month. Uh, but our retainers actually month to month. Okay, so they're not contractual in any way. 
so they can. Uh, no, it's a thirty day out clause, so technically, you know, you have an extra month in there. Um, but that's a it's a month to month contract, okay. just because. Right. It's an interesting way of doing that. It's it, it's weird for some people, but it's like a, a it's like a money back guarantee clause. It's basically the same thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not committing. You're not requiring them to pay you for twelve months. Right. right? Yeah. Right. Which because is nice. I mean, do you also do things? I meant to ask you this earlier, but you know, say say you're billing biweekly um, as a as an objection killer for somebody new. Do you also tell them if let's say they um, pay for two weeks up front or a month up front, if they decide to bail midway through, do you refund the difference or do you just keep the whole thing? Well, so that's the beauty of being every two weeks is that even they do that, it's, it's, it's done, right? So we've let go of the extra 30 days before, but you're paying us for that month because we're doing that work. So even if they bail in the middle of it, it's already planned out, it's ready to go, it's out the door, and we've done enough work to to actually commission that. We won't ask you for an extra 30 days. Just I, I've let go of that of that sometimes just because it's just it is what it is. It's nice to get that extra 30 days, but sometimes it's just, you know, I, I, sometimes it's not worth it. You have, you know, we had a very toxic client one time and it wasn't worth it. It was just like, all right, I just want to watch my clients and my guys are like, no one wanted to do work on this thing. And we're like, all right, we're done. You know, let's just go away. There's no point of fighting. That was the thing. Like the first year that we we almost went broke, I, we had a client. You know, they owe us a lot of money, um, and it was either I can spend my time for the next year fighting it, or I can just go more close more business. Uh, it was just point. And, you know, at my at one point, it was just pointless. You know, it's just like, yeah, we're gonna lose it. We can write it off. Whatever that is, let's just go get more business. Right. Right. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is the. I guess becoming that consultant where one of the things you mentioned in the pre-interview was, you know, your, your focus is really on helping be seen as a trusted advisor rather than that dreaded vendor word, right? Especially when you're dealing with, let's say, procurement, like bigger companies who um, are used to dealing, you know, whether it's uh, a company that's going to do their website or a company that's going to furnish them with a lot of toilet paper rolls, you know, they deal with vendors. How do you position yourself as... I mean, is it is it largely through that initial road mapping that you kind of set that stage, or? Uh, yeah. Usually, it's road mapping. Usually, it's the first meeting or the first or second meeting. Usually, it's you know our meetings go our sales process. Like somebody calls us, we I'll talk to them, go through that. We usually do a technical call really quickly, um, and that shows off really quickly the knowledge base we have of what people should do, and that's usually enough trust for you. Either having the next like actual meeting, sit down and go through stuff, um, and go, hey, this is what we're thinking. This is what it is. Before we go anywhere, so we go give away a lot of it. Um, it's that it's building a trust in every single meeting. Um, so we just keep on going, and once we get to the discovery, that's that's an easy shot. Usually, pretty easy shot that we'll get the full contract to actually do the work and, and things like that. Just because the knowledge, you have to be just knowledgeable and, and make sure you you get. To the point where you can do that, right? The goal is not to do the discovery and just hand it over the paperwork and walk away. That's not the goal. You know, the goal is to sell you everything you give them. It's the next sell, right? It's the next. Let's get to the next project. Let's do the step level. So, we like this leveling. You know, we don't have to sign a big contract for a big team. Just there's like, like you do it. We we considered kind of uh, phrasing it the way you're phrasing it, where our your first month is just discovery. Um, we actually like it separate. Um, it's a weird kind of, we've toiled with both. We like it separate. We like to say that separately. 
you know, if I were to, I know we're running out of time, but if, if there was one big thing that I think you've done right, which I, I, I would want to impress upon people is this attitude of experimenting with all things, right? Like not, not just saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I've always built hourly, ergo I'm going to build hourly forever, or I've always got paid after I'm doing the work, therefore I'm always going to get paid after doing the work. With consulting, you typically, you know, there's a high, it's called high touch for a reason. It's high touch because it involves um, a lot of one-off sales, right? You're not just putting together a sales page and you don't have a buy now button. It's each conversation is a sales funnel to itself or is a part of its own sales funnel. So you can tweak how that funnel is shaped. You can tweak what you say. You can tweak how you pitch. You can tweak how you propose. I mean, all of this should be done and there should be an attitude of testing built into your company so that you can see, I mean, not everything's going to work right off the bat. I'm sure a lot of what I'm sure you wrote it, ran into a lot of roadblocks that you had to turn back from, which is fine. Right. Um, but it's that attitude of, I mean, the reason you've gone from two to 22 or whatever, you know, an 11 X growth is because you've kept at it by tweaking and experimenting over time, both in how you, how you, um, yeah, and that's just having the comfort level of, you know, every, you know, I look at it as like, I think uh, Bob and I as partners are great because I have a very, very high threshold of pain, what I like to call pain, right? When you do this for a living, when you do this work for your own, you have to have a threshold of pain. He has a lesser one and we kind of balance each other out that way where I can test and stuff like that. But our baseline of what we have to bring in, what has to happen has always been, hey, this is what we have to support. It's all the families we have to support. This is what has to be a baseline. And then we can play with other stuff, right? right, right. So we're very particular of when we experiment, what we do. Um, I'm definitely the one that will experiment like crazy with a whole bunch of stuff. But we also, I know we can deliver on those things at all times. So it's an interesting balance that we have, but you should be experimenting with those things. I mean, I understand being a freelancer and you don't have time. Trust me. When you have 22 people, you really don't have time for anything. Because <laughs> right. um, you have to bring that in. Like there's no if buts about that, right? Um, people depend on you all the time. Um, so it's weird. Um, but I think in the end, like the experimentation of trying something, if it works, then, then keep on going. Like my favorite thing right now is such a weird thing is like, have you been getting emails, a whole bunch of emails? Like it's the whole cold email thing going on where it's like, Hey, I sent you this email again and again and again it's not it's not going to be that you yeah know? It's, yeah the, it's it's when you do that one word uh, reply where you say unsubscribe <laughs> very <tersely. laughs> yeah, right. but that's the thing i mean we've played with that but yeah. we now also play with it's very high touch it's very like this is what we do um you know our marketing is getting better we're now getting into pr doing marketing speeches blah blah, blah. But we, for five years, we just kind of like did our thing and very patient about it yeah. and just kind of went, went on with it and played with models and referrals and how we, you know, because most of our business was all referral based, right? Yeah. And you have, when you have this kind of business, it's kind of all referral. When you were growing from employee two to three, you weren't doing it to, you weren't trying to be a 22 person company at the time. I mean, no, you were, you were no, no, trying no, we're to be a three person company at the time and whatever that entailed. And then from there, I mean, I think that's one of the... My concern would be, you know, if you're listening to this and let's say you're just you're thinking of starting and here you're talking, you're hearing from this guy, Bart, who has a 22 person company. And, you know, I want to I want to make sure people realize that anything we're saying now is not like dogma that should be followed to the T. 
Yeah, um, no, no, no. Because it might all. not work for you at, at the stage of, that your business is in right now. And I think that's really, that's why it's it's so important to really understand, to take hold of that attitude of constant reflection, which leads to constant experimentation. The best experiments are ran based off of reflecting off actual data, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, and also kind of addition to that, um, I would say my business partner always wanted to grow big. Um, and I was the one that was holding it back till about January. Um, my mind said, I finally am comfortable with it. Um, that's the other thing. Like I wasn't comfortable growing that fast and I'm comfortable with it now. Like it took like literally five years for me to be like, all right, you know what? Now I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's push out all those things. That's why the marketing, that's my PR. That's why all this stuff happening. Um, I needed to be comfortable with it. So if, if people are listening, it literally, you have to be comfortable with yourself and sort of self-aware of who you are, what you want to do. Hey, it's fine if you have a two-person or one-person company that's making whatever you're making, you're comfy. But if you want to be a 400, 500 people company too, that's fine too. You just got to find your sort of level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Bart, best place for people to find out more about you and get in touch would be Sumo, Sumo Heavy? Sumo Heavy, yeah. SumoHeavy.com is where we are. Um, you can just Google my name. You pretty much find it really quickly. Um, I'm very Googleable. So Googleable, that's really and weird. that's M-R-O-Z. Uh, yep. Ross, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, and you're link up everybody anyway, so. <laughs> I will, yeah. And I'll be in the show notes. If you go to WFreelancing.com, click on podcasts, you'll find it all there too. So Bart, I just want to thank you again for coming on. Um, sad we didn't get to cross paths at the conference, but hopefully... Hopefully next year you'll, uh, well, it sounds like you're probably, con- you're up in Philly. You're probably like. You Actually, know. New York. I live I, in New York. I thought you now. were in Philly. I was. We started in Philly. Uh, okay. I am a New Yorker for past two That's right. Because when Patrick was there, you met up with him. Okay. That's yep. right. Yep. It's hard to remember where everyone is right <laughs> now. <laughs> my, my, my internal Skynet can only go so far. So cool. Well, Bart, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the show. Sure. Thank you very much for doing this. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bart. Uh, We should be back. I'm crossing my fingers, but before another week from now with another episode, just because I, again, I want to make up, we've got a pretty big backlog. People are saying, hey, where's that recording we did? Um, But like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, kind of had to take a forced month off of the podcast. Sucks when you lose your voice. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. Or just send me a friendly email and tell me what you think of the show. And uh, we'll be back next time for another exciting episode of the Business of Freelancing podcast.